Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. As we finish this series, All for the One, my title this morning is Make the Circle Bigger. And I'm, there we go, okay. They know the song. But um, Make the Circle Bigger, and we've said... For the last two weeks, we've made some observations about who God is from this amazing text of Luke 15. Do you, don't you love the scripture? I trust you found yourself in it. Read it time and time again. But we've made these four observations about who God is. Number one, revealed in the going after the sheepy, then the shekel, and then the son. Number one, God goes after the worst. He loved the worst. Jesus chooses, and the whole reason this whole chapter takes place is because he's sitting amongst tax collectors and the worst of sinners, and they love being with them, and the Pharisees are sitting outside going, how can that be? That's why all these parables are told. Jesus is trying to reveal something of the Father in this moment. He's saying, actually, God is a God who goes after and he loves the worst. Then he says, actually, it's not just the Father who loves the worst, he's persistent in his love. He doesn't give up easily. He would risk the 99 which in that context was his financial future of that shepherd. He would risk the 99 to go after the one wayward son. This is who God is, and he doesn't give up until he finds him. Maybe you don't know who God is. Maybe this church thing is foreign to you. That's okay. Your journey is not to discover what church is about. Your journey is to know God. The wonders and the majesty and the power and the beauty of his passion and desire for you. And then it continues, says, actually, God is revealed not just as the one who goes after, the one who persists, but he's... The shepherd who carries or the father who covers. That those servants could have come and they could have beaten that son. They could have disciplined him, but the father comes and covers him, not just with his jacket, but with his personal self as he hugs him. Says, actually, I'm going to cover my son in all his guilt and all his shame. It doesn't just stop there. In both the picture of the sheep, the shekel, as the lady finds her one shekel, or the son, there is this amazing celebration. And we see that we have this king who... Hmm. My mouth was literally stopping moving there. <laughs> Did you see that? Gets awkward. I'm going to say, good morning. Sorry, that happens periodically. I once had a wedding where my mouth literally didn't work. I literally had to stop, go and get water, come back. I could not speak. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with the riches of his grace this morning. But then we've said that these these two realizations or revelations in who God is that are super important for every believer. And the first one we don't struggle with. The first one is that God is a God who goes after lost things. And none of us actually struggle with that concept. I don't know about you, but I don't struggle with struggling when I've lost something. I want to find it. I don't give up until I found it. I don't stop until I found it. Actually, it's not always important about the value of it. It's the fact that I've lost something. And most of us don't struggle with that. Whether it's a lost coin or lost money or a lost toy or a lost TV remote. Anyone relate? It's like, where is the remote? And um, you're searching and you're searching. You turn the house upside down three times just to find a TV remote. None of us struggle with the concept that God is this father who struggles with lost things. Where we get stumped is what he gets obsessed about. See, I don't think the pinnacle of the story is the sheepy or the one sheep in the 99. God, Jesus is taking the Pharisees on a journey saying, I really want you to get this. You know why it's important? Because we're told in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem. Jesus knows that he is going to die on a cross. Jesus knows that they've got to get this truth now. 
There isn't time to waste. There is an urgency to the mission. There is an urgency to us getting the heart of God in this story. And he's trying to move them on from law bringers and law obeyers and guys who do everything right to actually do have the heart of the father in the story. So he tells the story of the sheep. Then he zones in the shekel says, but the pinnacle is this, a son or a daughter come home. That's the pinnacle of the story. And, and we are challenged. It's actually uh, what you get moved about when you're lost. When you run to God, is it just because the bank account's down? Do you run to God? It's just because you didn't get the promotion. Do you run to God when it's, oh, my kid didn't do well at school? Or do we run to God when, God, my neighbor doesn't know you, and they're going to spend an eternity away from you? That's what Luke 15 is about, sons and daughters. And it doesn't let us off the hook. I don't know about you, but I, I find this challenge, and I've been meditating on the statement I made last week. It says, sometimes you've got to be prepared to lose the things you love to find the things that he loves. You get it? You've got to be prepared to lose. To lose the things you love. To find the things he loves. What do I love sometimes? I love comfort. My comfort zones, we all do. We all have them. But sometimes I've got to step out of my comfort zones. Why? To step in to find the things that he loves. The people, the sons and daughters who are distant and far from him. And there is this challenge of Luke 15 says, you can't just stay. It's not just about the one. It's not just about the ten. It's about sons and daughters coming home. And then we read about the prodigal son, and I'm not going to reread that whole chapter, but he goes on this journey. He takes his inheritance early, demonstrates an arrogance and an over-self-confidence, and then a challenge comes. It says famine hits the land, and he ends up amongst the pigs, eating the food of the pigs in a chaotic, crazy situation that he probably never thought would come. And then it says he made the turn. Bible actually says he came to his senses. He came to himself. There's this moment of coming to himself and turning and beginning a journey back to the Father. And it's a long journey. It's a tough journey. He's still stinky from the pigs. He's still got the signs of, of the weeks and months of chaos in his life. But he begins this journey home and encounters this Father who's been watching. He's been watching on the horizons. He's been watching. Yes, the farm's been happening. And someone had to keep the farm going. Sorry, I've not been well this week. So my voice is a little broken, but it's all good. But there's a father on the perimeter of this farm, and he's not obsessed with what was the yield on that field this week. He's not obsessed with how the cows. He is fixated on when will his son come home, and he's got his eyes on the horizon. And then he sees the son. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing story. And Jesus is suggesting in this parable that actually, he suggests that you cannot actually sin away your sonship. That was his son. Had he messed up? Sure. Is grace messy? Sure. Does it mean he's going to come back a whole bunch of issues? Sure. But that is still his son. And God receives him home, pulls him close. As a picture of the father, pulls every son or daughter who comes home. Why don't we struggle with the prodigal son? Because we've all been him or her at one stage. And the gospel challenges us is actually, will you keep your heart big to him? And I want to pick up as we now finish that story of the prodigal son and move on to the older brother. Luke chapter 15, verse 22. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the son of seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead and now he's alive again. 
Once he was lost, but now he is found, and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Well, not everyone. Because verse 25 says, Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned, and he, as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of his servants and asked, What's going on here? The servant replied, It's your younger brother. He's returned home, and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, Come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said, Father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son? And I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at the son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. The father said, my son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and to be overjoyed. Because this brother of yours was once dead and gone. But now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. Can we pray? Great Spirit of God this morning. Even as this is Pentecost Sunday, I pray, Spirit of God, you are here, revealing the Father, revealing the Son to us. And I ask, have your way this morning, as even as the word is read, maybe one line, maybe one truth about who the Father is would captivate us. But I pray, move us this morning. The Bible says that we, after the preaching of the word, we should expect signs and wonders. How much more a sign and a wonder than prejudice leaving? Then smallness being ripped out of a heart that's been there for years and years. Then pains being dealt with. I pray, Spirit of God, have your way this morning. Reveal to us the Father. Reveal to us the Son. Amen. And there's a, a couple of interesting observations in this amazing scripture. As the Son comes back and he sees there's a party going and he just says, What's going on here? You can imagine. He's come, he's been working on the field. Everyone else is out the field. He's the only one out there going... Something's happening. He's walking back. He looks at the field. He sees his favorite cow he's been eyeing out for ages. He's gone. It's gone. Now, there's only two reasons. I'm not even going to suggest what the first one might be, but the second one is that the cow is related to that party. But that was my cow. I mean, I'm just putting myself in his place. I don't know about you. I'm stinky. I've been working hard. I'm going, what's going on here? My, my fattened cow is gone. And actually, I was eyeing out that cow for my birthday party next month. Not, but he says, not even a cow, a goat. I would take a goat. I've never had my kid come and ask me for a goat. It's not happened in our house. It says the older brother, he finds out what's happening, became angry and refused to go in. Now let's be brutally honest this morning. Most of us can relate. Who can't relate? Because there are these three characters in the story. There is the youngest son, there is the father who is the hero, and then there is this older brother. There are these three characters that we are called to reveal. We've got to understand we can be both of these sons at any time. And this challenge speaks to us, and this challenge speaks to the Pharisees. And Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. He says, guys, there's not much time now. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on a cross so that all men can know the Father. But there's an urgency to this story. There's an urgency that you get it. And he's fighting for the hearts of the Pharisees to crack open. To see the Father and to understand who God is. 
who the Father is, not a, a one who just celebrates your law-keeping. But why, why does the older brother start struggling? And why can he not go in? Why? Because everything inside of him has been offended. Because he finds out his younger brother, who had squandered their wealth, squandered their money, gone on a chaos journey, has come back. And there's a party. And the older brother goes, as most of us would, but what about me? Am I the only one who ever asked that? What about me? I mean, let's be honest. We, we walk life and you look at some people in the church and some people and you go, but, but what about me? I've been here for years. What about me? They get promoted. What about me? That's the human heart. Welcome to humanity. And Jesus knows that and he loves it. He made us. He says, I want to take you on a journey. I want your heart to crack open because this son is really struggling. He says, I've been working really hard. I've never even got a goat and my favorite cow is missing. Where is it? Rotisserie on a very big weeber. I, I don't know how they did it in those days. I don't think it was that. But he takes his eye off this one beautiful fact that he'd been with the Father. He's always been with the Father. The Father had always been there. And there is this fight in Luke 15 that is a big fight. And there's the fight of this. Will the prodigals come home to the Father? And when the older brothers just come close. See, the older brother had forgotten. He'd been close to the father this whole time. And then the son picks up the courage like the younger son had walked in and prepared his speech for dad. This one prepares his speech too. And he says this, Father, listen. How many years have I been working like a slave for you? Number one, you don't speak to your father in this culture in that manner. There is an arrogance that rises up. There is a strength of anger and fight that rises up in this son, and he is rude with his father, the head of the father, and he reminding his father of the efforts and the work that he's put in. He makes his feelings felt. And then the father says this incredible statement to him. He says, son, but everything, everything I have is yours to enjoy. I think sometimes, and we're reading an incredible book. My wife is reading it, so which means I'm pretty much reading it because it gets reread to me. Every second page. It's beautiful. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> By Spurgeon about joy. And this preacher and writer is reminding us that actually our relationship with God is a relationship of joy. That we are invited into His presence. He says, actually, I want you to enjoy being with me. And I want you to enjoy the pleasures that come with having a relationship with the Almighty Father. You see, I think there's a message to every heart here. That we get used to working hard for our Father and doing all the right things and being faithful in our Christian tasks. But we cannot forget the things that bring Him the most joy. See, these Pharisees, they were good people. And they thought their goodness was the reason they could come close to God. They thought their goodness was their key to access. They thought their goodness was their key to joy. They attended synagogue. They disliked the tax collectors and sinners. Obviously, we don't like those guys because those guys aren't what we're going after. And they had a desire, a deep, earnest desire to be loyal to God. They wanted to obey God. They wanted to honor God. But Jesus is reminding them in this moment as he tells this story, a third story, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's saying, guys, I need you to get this says there's something that rocks the heart of the Father. There's something that cracks open the heart of the Father. And it's this statement the Father makes. He says, it's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed. Because this brother of yours was once dead and gone. 
but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's just look at that. He says he was dead and gone. Sure, he was gone. They knew he was probably. He says, but he was dead. He said, but no, he wasn't dead. He was working on a farm with pigs. He wasn't dead. No, the father says, but you don't get it. He was dead. Why? Because he was far from me. And he was gone because he wouldn't spend an eternity with me. He says he was lost. He'd forgotten who he was. He'd lost his identity. He wants to come back to me as a son and as a slave. That is my son. And Jesus is saying, guys, Pharisees, as you watch me sitting with tax collectors and the notorious sinners, understand I didn't come to heal the well or make them slightly better. I came to take the dead and bring them to life. And there's an urgency to the story, a challenge that fights in. And it cracks open and there is a passion on the heart of God. I want to give you a picture that epitomizes passion for me. Can we pop up the picture of Ben, please? That's my six-year-old son, who, to be brutally honest, doesn't really know much about rugby. His older brother loves it. This guy, not so much. But that was the first try his team scored, I think. I'm not even sure he touched the ball in that game, to be brutally honest. It didn't matter. When they scored their try... He was so overwhelmed with excitement and passion for his team and his mates. And we are doing so well. There is this picture of every muscle, every vein, every little bit of excitement inside of him is bursting out of him. I want you to think of the father. And it might not be you whose his eyes are on in that second. It might be another son. I want you to think of the Father and His passion for bringing dead sons to life, for bringing lost sons home. And I want you to let it move you. Let me say for most of my life, (laughs) most of my life, I have one regret. I have one area that I've had to find myself in these last years repenting of. That I'm not sure I actually love those distant from God. What are you saying, Mark? Well, I knew I had to. But I'm not sure that I was prepared to discomfort myself. I'm not sure I was prepared to allow some of my preferences to lie down. Because I hadn't been overwhelmed by a father who was passionate for dead sons to life. See, when we forget, when people are outside of the love of God and not in relationship with the Father, we forget this truth that the Bible says because we don't like it because it's harsh and we love people. But the Bible says they are dead in their sins. Dead. And the only way for them to come alive is Jesus. And he says, I want to pull you into this story. I want you to be a part of the story. I want you to celebrate. And I want you to get so pumped up even if you didn't touch the ball. Why? Because there's a father in heaven who's waiting for his wayward sons to come back. And he's waiting for his older sons to come inside and come close. He wants all his sons. This story isn't just about the prodigal son. This story is about two sons who are distant from their father. And he pulls us into a story. I've had many privileges in my life. 
But I remember being a young man. See, I like to be like, I was short, very short. Some of you are like, you still are. Thanks, Kurt. I saw that in your eyes. But, um, but I was really, really short. So I learned to want to be liked. I, I, I would do silly things. I once stuck my head in a, bot, in, a, in a bucket of whitewash. Not even a joke. For five rand. Because I thought it, it would be funny. It was funny in the moment. So everything started burning. And, um, but you learn some ways. And then one of the things you encounter Jesus. And he demands this of you that you start telling stories about him. And I'm going, Jesus, I love you, but they don't. And if I start telling them about you, they're not going to think I'm so cool. And I'm stuck in the middle. He says, I don't really care about what they think about you, but I really care about what they think about me. And so you've got to get over what they think about you. And get over being liked. And get over the fact that disciples of Jesus won't be understood all the time. Why? So that sons that are dead can come to know. And I'm sitting one night, we'd gone out with friends. I was with one of my best friends. He's six foot six. He ended up playing lock for the All Blacks. A massive, massive man. And stuff had happened in his life. And he'd known I'd gone to church and he'd watched. He'd never gone to church. He'd gone through multiple stories in his life. And we're sitting there and the Spirit of God just starts, this is your moment to tell him about Jesus. I'm going, but he's my mate. Yeah, you've got to tell him about Jesus. And we're sitting in the lounge. I'm 19 years old. And I start telling my friend, Greg, about Jesus. At one in the morning. At two in the morning. I say, Greg, do you want Jesus to come into your heart and show you the Father? And I start talking about the Father and understanding who the Father is. He says, yes. At two in the morning, I have the privilege of praying with this friend. I'm literally up to his like, here. That's... My heart. I'm trying to lay hands on his shoulders. (laughs) Praying for him. And this guy that I'd known since I was six years old, been one of my best friends all those years, he's standing in my kitchen weeping. Why? Because a dead son come to life. A dead son. See, we we minimize it down. We think as long as people are nice and they're good, guys, nice and good doesn't get us anyway. It's not what the gospel is. He was nice and good. He was one of my best mates. But I remember this internal conflict. Maybe you think, oh, Mark, you should have. No, no, no. We all have to go on a journey of finding our confidence in the gospel story and our conviction that it is dead to life. And this father didn't struggle with that. And I want to suggest five quick things this morning. So this morning is, 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 is... It's going to be a little bit tough for the last 10 minutes on myself and maybe you, but I trust there's gospel fruit. Is that all right? Five things that maybe keep us as the older brother in this story. And I'm a marketing guy, and we were told five Ps are all marketing, product, class, price, promotion, packaging. Anyone else study marketing? So we're going for five Ps this morning. Number one, prejudice. Number two, preference. Number three, principle. Number four, pain. And number five, pride. If I look at this older brother, there's prejudice. That son has failed you. Yes, he's my brother. It's not a racial prejudice. It's not an economic. That son has just failed you. There's a prejudice that is in his heart that's blocking him. I've got to ask myself, and I've got to ask you in response to Luke 15 and three weeks of preaching, Are there prejudices 
that are keeping too small and making the circle smaller. Maybe religion. Maybe you have a prejudice. Maybe a guy gets up on screen and he's, pr- he's, he's praying to Jesus and he's got a robe on yesterday. I don't know if you saw the Bishop of Canterbury, Archbishop of Canterbury. Do I have a prejudice against that? Because he's got a robe? No, he loves Jesus. It doesn't even matter. I don't have the privilege of having it on. And race and church background. Oh, you're from that church. No, James 2 says this, my friends, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, you must never treat people in different ways according to their outward appearance. Suppose a rich man wearing a gold ring and a fine clothes comes to your meeting and a poor man in ragged clothes also comes. If you show more respect to the well-dressed man and say to him, have the best seat here, but say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my feet, then you are guilty of creating distinctions among yourselves and of making judgments based on evil motives. Prejudice is deeper than a Facebook rant. It's more subtle than most people are aware And it's in all of us. And Jesus says, I've got to get it out. Why? Because it makes the circle smaller. It just makes the circle smaller. What do you mean by preference, Mark? Well, there's just preferences. It's not quite prejudice, but it's my preference. And and Philippians 2 challenges us, and I'll give you some examples now, but Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each, let each of you look not only on your own interests, but to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I, I would summarize that whole thing By saying this, love doesn't insist on its own way. Love doesn't rest on my preferences. I have preferences. Let me give you one. I'm going to be vulnerable. I was asthmatic as a kid. I struggled to breathe for many years of my life. I could only start playing sport in grade seven. So breathing was a big thing for me. So smoking was a big thing for me. Because I really struggled to the environment of smoking. Can I be honest? But here's what you don't get. You don't get to make smoking the unforgivable sin because it's not in the Bible. You don't get to choose. I'm not going to impact anyone in that world because you struggle with something. You just don't get those things because those are your preferences. And the Bible says actually to love is to not insist on everything yourself. I've said it before in this pulpit. If this, if the church, not us, the church, don't get over our obsessions with things like smoking and tattoos. We will miss a generation who are completely enamored with them. And God has called us to reach the generation. It doesn't mean you all have to run out and we're going to give away free tattoos at church next week. But it does mean we've got to deal with something deep, deep down that is a crack that's got to open up. Why? Because there are young people who are enamored with things and they don't know why. And if we are blocked off to making the circle smaller and putting them outside of the circle because of something they've chosen in their past, they are outside of the circle and our access to reveal the Father to them is completely limited. Luke 15 deals with these things. I've got to give them names because we all have them. We all have preferences. We all have comfort zones. 
God says, I've got to get inside you. Why? Because I want my sons and daughters home. And then he continues, says, actually, what about principle? Well, I have a principle that uh, I don't hang around tax collectors and sinners. Oh, really? Jesus did. I have a principle that I, I will never go into that environment. I'm going, wow. Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, hung around the most notorious sinners. Guys, please don't hear me. Mark's telling us to run into the worst place of the city today. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you, God has called you to have a circle of influence for His glory. God has called you to reach people who may be in your frame of reference right now because of pride, prejudice, preference, whatever thing you aren't reaching. He's saying, I want to crack open that. Why? Because there is a father who's looking at the horizon saying, I want my sons and daughters who are dead to come to life. Let me give you another one. Pain. Pain. I was in one church for 20 years. I got hurt more by the people in that church than I ever did by anyone else in life. Does it mean I give up on church? No. Some of the people that hurt me the most are my greatest friends today. Why? Because we have the gospel. The gospel of restoration and reconciliation. We can find each other. And when we do that, the circle gets bigger. The circle just gets bigger. What about pride? What if they don't like me? How does this affect me? What if they don't receive Jesus today? And the pride rests on you, sir. The only pride you can have is knowing that Jesus loves you, that you have a relationship with the Father, and you did nothing for it. I'm just trying to provoke us this morning. As we finish the series, we can make it a nice series about the sheepies and the 99 and the 1, and we all feel good about the fact that we're a sheepie. And the Father came after us and continues to come after us. And that is true. But there is another side of the story that Jesus is provoking, and it's for who he wrote the story and brings these parables, the Pharisees, that there's potentially one in each of us. There's actually, don't get good at making the circle smaller. Make the circle bigger. Make the circle bigger. Can I ask some people to stand? Mike, will you stand? Yeah. Omri, will you stand? Maybe Omri and Manya, will you stand? Let's see. Lee, will you stand, buddy? My friend Ray, will you also stand for me, please? Andrew, will you stand? We need a, I need one or two back row people. Uh, I just want other. There we go. Beautiful. Sorry, I didn't catch your name. I can't actually see the light. Alan, how's it, man? We need some. I'm just looking. I've, I've got all of them. Sammy, will you stand? There's someone at the back there. Where we go? L3 looking around. That's perfect example. You can stand. See what happens. That's how you get it. So, so uh, Jesus speaking. He says, I love my sons and daughters. So if I'm a son of God walking in this world and I have the potential to impact, maybe my life encounters these people. But you see, there's a problem because I've got prejudice. In my heart. And so prejudice comes in and the filter comes in. And actually, I just don't like people without hair. Sorry. I just don't. I have a prejudice. I think you should have hair. Let's get more real. I just, I'm not sure that Ray and I can be friends. Because Ray probably comes from a very different background. Because I'm white and Ray is not. 
It doesn't mean I hate Ray. It just means there's enough to stop this. So Ray, won't you take a seat, please? And, and maybe there is. Andrew is an older man, and I have a prejudice because, because actually he comes from a family who loves, and maybe I don't come from a family who loves passionately. So I have a prejudice in my heart. That's how prejudice is so subtle. It's not just a black-white thing. You see, you guys get that. What you don't get is actually, I, I, I grew up with a prejudice when my parents got bankrupt and I was 19 years old. I had a prejudice in my heart against rich kids. Just telling you. So Andrew, will you stand? Because actually prejudice. Take a seat. Take a seat. And then actually there's this, this story. Well, actually a preference. And, and Omri and Manya, they, they've been in the church forever. I, I love them. But, but actually they're out in the world and God's called me to impact their life. But they're like a, like a, like a middle-aged family where it's in suburbia and life is good and he's an athlete. And actually, I prefer not to hang around them because one day he's going to invite me to cycle with him and he's going to drill me into the ground. So I can't actually impact. Won't you take a seat, please? And, and, and there's just these principles that actually I, I, I just, I don't give time to young people because how can they benefit me? And Lee, we don't talk about the same thing. So won't you sit, please? And, and, and actually, I've got principles I, 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 I that, that affect me and limit me. I've got principles. I actually, I can never be friends with a girl because I know too many pastors who've fallen. So I just can't be friends with a girl. Sorry, it's a principle. It's I can't actually impact your life. Won't you sit as well? And then there's pain in my story. And you know, LG, I, I heard she spoke behind my back. So now there's pain in my heart, but, but it actually wasn't hurt with someone else. And that pain has stopped me now impacting her life. It wasn't hurt with someone else. But that pain is in my heart because that pain is in my heart. It makes the circle smaller. And won't you sit, please? And then Mark. Uh, Mark's this guy and he's big and he's got presence in a room. And, and I maybe work with him in the marketplace. But, but actually, uh, I'm concerned that if Mark doesn't respond to the gospel, then what? Then he thinks I'm an idiot. So, Mark, won't you sit? And I'm standing here. I'm going, I want to reveal the heart of the Father. I want to. But the circle has become smaller and smaller. Prejudice. Preference. Priorities. Pain. Um, whatever, pride. And my circle just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. What does Jesus come? He comes as the perfect one. He should have had prejudice against everyone. He was sinless. And he opens up a circle. He says, preferences, I've hung around with the Father and I've hung around with the Holy Spirit for my whole life. For eternity we've been hanging around and they are perfect. Why would I want to hang around with notorious sinners and tax collectors and the circle gets bigger? Keep from principle. Well, I don't have the principle of getting down in the dirt. I'm the king of kings. What about pain? Now, I know that these guys, these tax collectors probably want to steal from me, and I know that these guys who I spent three years walking the earth with are going to hurt me more than anyone because they're the guys I invested my most in. And when I hung on that cross, I looked to the hill and Peter's running. He makes the circle bigger by choice. He says, actually, what about pride? I'm the king of kings. And I know I'm going to be put on the cross at the hands of my creation, stripped naked, whipped and beaten. There will be no pride. They won't even be able to recognize me. See, nothing stopped Jesus. from hanging out with tax collectors 
and notorious sinners. Nothing stopped. Not worried about his reputation. He got over the fact he'd be judged. He, he wasn't worried that they'd take something from me. He wasn't worried that they were still stinking in their sin in that state. Stinking in their sin there. They're not worried that some of them would probably be in the crowd shouting for his blood soon. He wasn't worried about that. He just said, come. Why? Because he knew the father. What about the father in Luke 15? He wasn't worried about his opinion of his workers. He wasn't worried about the disappointment of his son. The fact that his son actually still had done all these things wrong and taken him for a ride. He wasn't worried about the emotional tax or the financial cost that his son had cost him. He wasn't worried that his son wasn't perfect when he came back. And you know what? He didn't even wait for an apology. Think about it. What would you want as a father, as a mother? I just want my son to say, I'm sorry. That father didn't wait for that. He didn't even give him a chance. He just took him and interrupted his his apology and says, no, you're my son. Why am I speaking so passionately about this? Jesus says in Revelation 22, verse 20, Jesus, the one who says these things are true, says, yes, I am coming soon. And he challenges us. Uh, He says, you have a saying, four months till harvest, but I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields ready for harvest now. He's saying, you guys have got the saying, actually just delay it by four months. You just delay it by four months, four months, there'll be harvest. He's saying, no, 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 the harvest is ready now. Luke 15 is normally preached about, you're the sheepy, and there's a shepherd coming after you, and that's true. But then... There is a word to the older brother inside of every one of us. Make the circle bigger. In your world, it's not going to happen overnight. Some pain is deep and real, but it can only get healed in the face of the love of God. Some prejudices are there and fashioned by circumstance and situation, but I want to tell you, there is no space or place in the gospel for prejudice. I just cannot find it anywhere. And Jesus says, I've got to rip those things out of you, and you've got to be prepared to lose some things you've become so attached to, to so that others can be found by him. Will you make the circle bigger as you see the Father this morning? Can we close our eyes, please? I really hope and pray this doesn't come across too strong. I really hope and pray you can see the passion of the Father. Can you put that picture up of Ben again, please? I'm telling you, church, in any organization, and the church is no different, we default to comfort, we default to what is safe, we default what is smaller. And God is saying, I want to keep shaking you. I want to keep moving you. I'm going to keep dealing with prejudice. I'm going to keep dealing with preferences. I'm going to keep dealing with smallnesses that make your world and influence smaller. Why? Because you are the sons and daughters of the living God. And I've called you to influence the world and to reveal Jesus to them. So that they might see the Father. That their dead sons who were dead would come to life. Their daughters would come to life. So that I might have an attempt an eternity with them. I pray God, Spirit of God this morning, Holy Spirit, reveal eternity to us. We struggle 
We struggle to think past this life. But I pray, Spirit of God, by your grace and your goodness this morning, reveal eternity to us. That something of eternity would come and resound within us and move us to action. I pray, rip out and expose prejudices in my heart and in our hearts this morning, God. That have no justification when shone up against the light of your word. I pray, God, Spirit of God, this morning, heal broken hearts, God. Heal pain to love again. Some have loved and given their hearts to people and reached out and served. And the pain of that experience has stopped them doing it again. And I pray, God, would the passion of the Father overwhelm us again and reveal to us that in Him we have fullness of joy and life and abundance. But I pray this series of All for the One is more than just a good Sunday preaching series for us as a church. Move us, God. We've made space in our house. We've added a meeting, not just because of comfort. We've added a meeting, actually, God, so that those who are far from you might find a spacious place in here, in relationships and in your goodness and your grace. And I pray, start with us, God. Start with me, King. I pray, Jesus, rip out prejudice and preference out of my heart. Why, God? So that wayward sons and daughters could come back to you. We worship you, God. Can we just place our hands on our hearts one more time for this series? And pray, God. Work in us, we pray.